0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: Welcome back in to 670. The score, it is hit and run. Oh, thank you. Thank you, sir. Um, It is uh, is Matt Spiegel here with you. We are live at the Brickhouse Tavern. Right across the street from the ballpark, just here off Gallagher Way. Did you know that uh, Wrigley Field is now the Wi-Fi friendly confines within In stadium Wi-Fi from Xfinity, the exclusive Wi-Fi provider for Wrigley Field? Uh, very cool to be here right across from the ballpark. It's going to make for an incredibly easy transition once Zach Zaidman comes in here to do some pregame at 1235 and I'll head over into the ballpark for a while. It's uh, it's it's a really it's a good moment. Come on. They're 59 and 51 are these Chicago Cubs, the second best team at home. They are home. They are going for a sweep of the Milwaukee Brewers. And the trade deadline brought acquisitions that have helped that look like they will continue to help. Meanwhile, the Brewers got Drew Pomerantz and Jake Faria. And they haven't done a hell of a lot. We talked to Tom Hodricourt from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel yesterday. They can't do a lot financially. They're at, a, at like a franchise high, 150 mil on the payroll. That's that's high. It's very high for them. They have to figure some things out. They're going to have to cut some cost if they're going to add some cost. So it's uh, it it's – it is it – is, it is incumbent on the Cubs to just go out and grab this division. The Cardinals didn't do anything. How do you do nothing if you're the Cardinals? If you haven't made the playoffs in three years, how do you do squat at the deadline except sell Jed Jerko for a prospect? I don't get it. But anyway, here the Cubs are in big boy season. A couple different things about big boy season that we did not mention, which is that Carl Edwards is gone. Carl Edwards is uh, going to be given a chance to ply his uh, his trade in San Diego, somewhere else, because game on. You can only go to guys that you trust, and they can't trust him. I think it's been true for a while, but really, it's definitely true now. And Jason Hayward is your leadoff hitter. Here's a little Jason Hayward that I wanted to get to from, uh, from yesterday. Uh, Jason Hayward on the level of patience that he needs to have as a leadoff hitter, okay? Okay. Here's here's Hayward talking about, and this is after the game yesterday, and giving you a little window into uh, into what it's like. Leadoff is fine, and he wants to be patient himself, and he wants Joe to be the same.
2: It was about me wanting to make the most of my time playing baseball.
1: Uh, you know,
2: whatever works best for whatever team I'm on, I going to try and do that. And right now, that's what they feel is best. So let's let's go. You know, let's, let's not look around and and see what works best for me if if it can be done. Try and, try and get it done. I just asked Joe to be patient with me on it and just, just give me a shot. Here we go.
1: So, a little more from Jason he asking Joe to be patient with him. I think he means in center field and at the plate hitting leadoff.
2: I asked him to be patient with me up there and, and, and not to move me out of there if it doesn't go perfect right away. Um, but, you know, just because it's an adjustment. And, you know, every time is going to be different. Some games are going to have more spots where there's runners on base, like today, which is nice, and then some games it's not. It's going to be about going up there, putting up a good or bad, and you know, obviously trying to get on base. But just go up there and be satisfied with you know, putting up a good or bad and, and grind that out.
1: So that's, that, that's interesting right there, is the, the different – components to that leadoff job, and that gives you a really good window as to why it can get in your head. Sometimes you're going up there and guys are on base, and you're just in your normal mode, trying to find a pitch you can drive and do something with, or go the opposite way, whatever the, the moment needs. And sometimes, if there's nobody on, your job is to go up there and have a long at-bat. Have a long grinding at-bat. And those are two different kind of approaches that Jason Hayward clearly is thinking about as he does that job. It's hit and run right here on 670. The score is Sahad Sharma from The Athletic. Nice enough to lengthen his day by coming over a bit early over here to Brick House before the locker room opens across the street. What's up, man? How are you?
3: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Actually,
1: Absolutely. Thanks, thanks for doing it. Before we get to the, the piece you wrote and, and the, the, the bigger picture stuff, um, Hayward is a mentally strong dude, but, man, leadoff is one of those things like closer that can mess with you. So I, I like how direct the conversations have been about it, and I love him taking the initiative to say to Joe, be patient with me. I don't want to be looking over my shoulder wondering if I have a bad at bat or a bad game that you're going to move on to somebody else. That has yep. messed with me before and could again.
3: Yeah, I think he he was asked about that, uh, followed up on that quote that you just played, yeah. and, and he, he explained it in more detail, kind of what you're saying. And then I kind of asked him about, well, you kind of learned that, too, throughout your career, to not kind of overreact to uh, – Oh, I had a poor game in the leadoff spot. Uh, there's there are issues with with how I'm uh, with how I'm approaching this and overthinking it, and then changing his approach in the leadoff spot because he's in that spot. Mm-hmm. So so he's adjusted as well, and and he's learned a lot from previous issues. Because I, I recall when he first came here, he was kind of hesitant when people asked him, "Could you be a leadoff guy?" Yeah. And he was like, eh, hey, I don't know about that." Uh, so so he's adjusted his mentality. He's kind of I think he's adjusted. Throughout his time here, I mean, think about how much 2016 weighed on him. Obviously, he won a World Series, he was thrilled. Yeah. But, I mean, the struggles at the plate, everyone knows about that. It carried over. It wasn't one of those things where uh, he was poor. uh, It wasn't just the mechanical issues. I believe it was mechanical issues that compounded after mental issues kind of took over, too. And it just rolled over and rolled over day after day and the struggles just really weighed on him and it took this long to get back on track isn't that crazy yeah i mean baseball's one of those games and and different people are going to react differently but i think he's in the he's in a place right now mentally obviously physically as well but mentally where he's just like let it ride let's not overthink things Let's not let's not complicate things and the leadoff spot could do that, but he's not allowing it, at least so far.
1: And early in the season, when Chris Bryant was struggling, he gave some quotes letting you know that, that it can get to him as well. And saying, I remember him saying, you know, it's funny. You think the longer you play this game, the easier it's going to be, and that's just not the way that it goes. Um, and then he went off on this wonderful tear, and he's been terrific. Right now, do you get any sense that he's back inside his own head a little bit? Hard to tell.
3: Yeah, he hasn't, he hasn't led on to that as of yet, so... I would guess that, yeah, when when you struggle for a little bit, it it frustrates. But this is, what, 10 games for him, maybe, Uh, basically since the start of the road trip. So maybe a little longer than 10 games. But he has been struggling. There's no doubt. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can just watch it. When he starts chasing uh, pitches outside of the zone, that's when you know he's just kind kind of off slightly. But I wouldn't. It's not the type of thing. I mean, it's... People are going to overreact if they want, but they also overreacted to the first couple of weeks, yes. right? They re- overreact to every poor stretch of play from any player, no matter what their resume is. I feel like so. It's and that's that's perfectly acceptable. I understand <laughs> that that's going to happen. The
1: w- world goes round. They <laughs> yeah. overreact. They call. I try to calm them or let them overreact. Sure, you know. <laughs> I think that's our role.
3: part of our job is trying to not. And even at times, I think we do too, right We oh, overreact sure. to certain situations, but you 've got to give it time sometimes and, and just kind of let it let it let 's see how this plays out type thing it 's a long year man yeah.
1: I, there was so many, so much conversation about they should pivot to sellers pivot <laughs> to sellers, and it just never made sense because there was no clarity if they had real clarity on where they stood and you know th- then maybe they might have, but they also didn 't have a lot of pieces they could sell but uh, all right that 's not why we 're here. We are here because you followed up on the conversation that's been happening for a long time. It's not like sure. I started the conversation last week, but it happens to dovetail nicely with an hour I did last week. Um, and, but it's like this has been going on for a while. I remember the moment when the Dodgers beat the Cubs with that high fastball and the breaking and the breaking ball coming out of the same spot. Yep. And then you look around, and in your piece— Um, Theo said, look, this is a league-wide thing. And Madden has said this, this is a league-wide thing. As you did a deep dive into the data, what did you learn about the Cubs as an offense in dealing with this way of pitchers attacking them?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think basically what I learned was they have far too many players who are easily susceptible to swinging at breaking pitches out of the zone and swinging and missing at elevated heat and those are the two trends in the game right we saw it in 2017 the dodgers attacked them not just in the playoffs but in i believe it was a june series where they got swept that's the series i remember yeah utterly dominated if i recall correctly they they were dominated in la and then they got swept in san diego right afterwards but the the point is that that was something that kind of everyone noticed and they openly talked about it that was the other thing yep it wasn't like it was like how what's going on why are we struggling joe straight up said this is how they're attacking us, and we are not adjusting. We have to adjust. It's 2019 now, two years later, and far too many of those guys haven't adjusted. So no. so
1: in that time, it's not like they haven't tried to help yeah. these guys adjust, right? We've seen two different hitting coaches. Has there been even more behind the scenes that we don't sure. know about? I mean, well... I mean they this, sent Ian Happ down to work on it. Yeah, a, a, a this, isn't,
3: this isn't something that they're unaware of or they refuse to address or there there are different ways. Right? Ben Zobrist is supposed to address that in certain ways and he has. If you look at the numbers that I that I showed, he's great at, a, at he doesn't swing and miss at elevated fastballs, yeah. and he doesn't chase breaking pitches out of the zone.
1: See that yeah. that that's the thing is like the easiest way to deal with it and, and what you've alluded to already is to get guys who are better at it. Yes. It reminds me of the whole you know, right right after um Uh, uh, Right right after Moneyball of like, hey, can you teach guys to be more patient? Reminds me of that conversation, which still
3: goes on. Like, can you teach that or do they just have it in them? And and some of these guys do develop. Like, think about Rizzo, right? He wasn't early on in his tenure with the Cubs able to do this stuff. I mean, he turned into this player. Bryant, if you look at the numbers, he's only slightly bad at chasing elevated fastballs. He's great at laying off breaking balls. I mean, I think people will focus on a game like yesterday where he was chasing breaking balls out of the zone and think he's not, but that's very rare. He does not chase pitches out of the zone. The elevated fastball, he doesn't swing and miss that much at it compared to league average. He's slightly above average. For a power hitter Mm. with that swing plane, that's actually really good for him. So he's adjusted, too. So there are guys that have adjusted just not enough There's is that not enough. is that
1: why why his strikeout rate has gone down yeah
3: i think part of it is that i talked to him about that over the years as well and yeah he he's the type of guy that sees a flaw and and, and it eats in him yeah when, when he notices that he has some sort of flaw it, it he works and works and works to cut it down and, and you may not notice it right away but all of a sudden you're like whoa this guy isn't striking out like he used to i uh-huh. mean he was pushing 30 percent, if i recall correctly and now yeah. he's you know, barely 20%. And that's in this day and age, that's remarkable to go that direction and still keep your power and right. still be the type of player that he is. So certain guys can get better
1: at it. Sure. But certain guys can't for either their uh, their mentality just, as students or the physicality, yeah, or the athletic I mean, guys ability. Guys don't
3: develop. Guys don't. I mean, they, they have certain skill sets. Everybody has different. That doesn't mean they're bad players. I think it's too many of the same type of player, right? Yeah. And you try to change them. You try and add, this isn't something... Uh, I, what's interesting is <laughs> I've been working on this for a while, and what my goal was was to do an off-season piece of this is the type of player they have to get. Uh, uh, Matthew, talking about it last week, kind of spurred me to, well, okay, that's, that's really out there. When someone talks about that that openly on the score, I was like, okay, I have to I should probably write this sooner rather than later.
1: Interesting. but And, and the other thing is that the problem is still there.
3: Yes. It, it's, so last year, uh, I don't want to make this too obvious about what the situation was, but basically there was uh, someone from the Cubs front office talking with someone from another team with another front office. I was just chatting with the three of them. And, and they and the Cubs front office personnel guy said uh, something like, uh, "Who's pitching today? Oh, this guy. Ah, he's got two breaking balls and can command a fastball. I'm not sure how our offense is going to handle that." And and that stuck with me. That stu- and that day they I think the guy threw like seven innings, couple hits, uh, one run, nothing. You know, dominated them. They,
1: they just knew.
3: And then before the deadline, when while I was doing my digging, I was asking, so what, what type of player should I be looking at? Well, look at what our offense struggles. Look at what we struggle at. Look at the pitches we can't hit. Go look that up. I'm sure you can do that on your own. Go do that, and you'll know the type of player we want. Hmm. When they say that, that's obvious. When, when you listen to Joe Madden talk about the issues with the offense, what is it? Organizing your strike zone. Don't chase. Force them to be in the zone. When, when you listen to Theo Epstein talk, what does he say? We want professional hitters. We're looking guys that can command the strike zone, that can control the barrel. He's, he, this isn't just, you know, this past month that they've been talking about it. This isn't just – it was all last winter when they had the budget crunch. They wanted to add those guys. Hmm. They wanted to add more Ben Zobris. But the budget crunch was in such a fashion and they had so many other issues that they even considered trading Ben Zobris. Right. So it's it's one of those – they, they had to give and take, and now it's kind of became a glaring issue. Because they what, tried
1: to coach him up.
3: Yeah, and and, 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 it's and you just, can't it, blame them. No, I mean, no well,
1: you, if, if you have to – you have to with your guys. I, I suppose this is this is the development and this is the self scouting that can separate a, a, a you know a, a dynasty from a non potentially. Is that oh this guy is not going to be able to pick this up. Let's move him now before anybody else realizes
3: it. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's part of it. They 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 probably didn't move guys at maximum value that they they look back at and, and think they should have. But I also am not, not sure how many of those offers were out there, mm-hmm. how many of these guys were getting the type of value in return that they believe they should have. Maybe that's now you look back and saying any certain type of value, maybe it's more value than they would have now. So yeah. it's maybe you think it's more value at the time, and then you look back two years later and say, ah, woo, we, we missed on that one. I, but I, I'm not sure how many of those instances uh, really piled up. For yeah. my digging, it doesn't sound like they missed many opportunities as much as, you know, maybe they maybe they should have pursued more opportunities, if anything.
1: It's Sahad of Sharma from The Athletic. Before we t- talk about some of the personnel that could change this, that maybe has started to change this. Let's stay with the guys who've had the problems. Ian Hap was on Inside the Clubhouse yesterday. And, and I, I asked him to tell us about the high fastball, to tell us what that feels like for him. This is from yesterday. Okay, yeah, so I, I was asking Ian, like, what fans don't understand about when you're standing in there in the box mm-hmm. and somebody throws that pitch? Like, like what, what do fans not realize? Because it's super easy, and I do it all the time. Sure. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you swinging at? Here's Hap from yesterday.
4: I think if you took ten fans out of Wrigley Field, you pulled them down to the batting cage, put the pitching machine up, <laughs> and put it at one of those fastballs, I think you'd get about a 95% swing rate there. Um, or I or think running it, out I, of the building. <laughs> I, yeah, I think it would be. I think it would be a lot of fun to watch. But it's just it, it. The way that the guys are throwing um, now, with the the super high spin rate at the top of the zone, it it you're, it tricks your eye because your eye thinks you know, naturally this ball has to come down. It has to get into a spot where I can hit it, and it's an optical illusion where it feels like the ball's rising on you. So. Um, It's it's a really effective pitch. It's what a lot of the league has turned to now, and um, it's something that we as baseball players have to make the adjustment to.
1: That's Ian Happ from yesterday. Yeah, I asked him like what fans don't know, and he started to laugh. And he's like, "We talk about this a lot. I think about this a lot." He's like, "Once you come down, all of you are welcome to go take some BP and try not to swing at a high fastball."
3: I actually think that's uh, you know, some of those Twitter accounts like Pitching Ninja and stuff like that. That helps us kind of see with the tunneling, and you see when he pauses it, okay, this is the fastball and the slider, and they're lined up, and then all of a sudden the slider breaks, and yes. people are like, why is that guy swinging it? Well, this is why. Right, And it's a split-second reaction, and it's, you know, these are the elite of the elite, and even they struggle with it. So it's it's not easy. And, and, you know, a guy like Ben Zerberist is a rare talent that can avoid swinging at those pitches and really has his swing plane uh, mastered to the point where that's, you know, he's not going to hit... 30 home runs, right? So there's a give and take. He's going to have a high on base percentage and he's hopefully going to hit 280 uh, plus when he's at his best. You know, I'm talking about peak Ben Zobris.
1: Yeah. You know, it's because I remember talking to Ron Coomer about this kind of thing and people were all over Schwarber uh, who was in lead off at the time for striking out. And he's like, he's good. He's like, don't you understand? He's good as a slugger. This is what he is. But now you want him to change to be a guy who's hitting on top of the baseball and situationally. Not everybody can do that. So it, it, there is a give and take. Zobers can hit it out of the park every once in sure. a while. he'll drive a ball every once in a while, but for the most part, he's trying to stay on top, and why does he not swing at that stuff? Just has a better eye, more patience?
3: Yeah, I think it's you know it's innate some of it's an innate ability. Some of it is uh, constantly working on that specific type of adjustment, mm-hmm. you know, and some guys are just different. everyone's different. you know everyone develops differently. everyone can learn different things and and implement different uh, coaching uh, suggestions. Uh, either better or differently than others can. So it's, it's not. It, there's, it's there's no easy answer here. It's yeah. not just like, well, they don't have the right coaches or they don't have the right, uh, you know, scouting or whatever it is. It's all. It's it's really complex and there's a lot of different things going in and out of it. Uh, frankly, I just think they have too. They had too many of the same type of player.
1: And now, do they have a better
3: match? I, I I think so. I look at this. Obviously, Wilson Contreras' injury stings. Uh, and if he wasn't really great at what we're specifically talking about, but obviously the raw numbers show that he can overcome that, right? He's, he's able to still be a very prolific offensive player. Uh, Javi's si- uh, similar in the sense that I shouldn't say Javi's similar because no one is similar to Javi Baez <laughs> in a in a sense. Like Javi just transcends everything. You can look at all the numbers and say, well, he should be a bad player on offense, right? You look at everything and it's like and then you look at the numbers, it's like, how is this guy putting up these numbers? He's a rare, rare talent. And for me, I try not to look at the numbers with Javi because it, it doesn't really add up. That's interesting. He's just he transcends numbers. He's a special talent. You just appreciate it, let it ride. <laughs> And and don't oh well, you you know you take the frustrating moments with the great moments because that's hobby yeah and, and you just and you just let it be and I I think Joe's perfectly right on that when Joe says you let that type of talent be and let it mature and let his what what he is really manifest and and we've seen that so Mm -hmm. he's a different type of talent it can't really be broken down with the numbers
1: yeah it's a little bit of a a vlad senior in there or kirby Puckett. like what are you swinging at oh he hit that one
3: yeah
1: yeah. right it's some of that and then how does castellanos how does nick castellanos yeah
3: castellanos can hammer the the high heat and and we saw that yesterday you had I, i believe was it the hustle double yesterday yep. that that he hit that was, that was a few inches above the zone and, and he can he can hit that he'll make contact with that at, at, at minimum he's gonna waste that pitch right yeah he's not gonna swing and miss a ton on that pitch or he'll lay off it well he's just not he, he's the type that adds a quality at bat he will chase at times he's not great against righties but he's everything we've seen it's been three games and you know you can't take too much away from it yeah but man, it, it looks great. He should have about two or three more hits, and I believe he's four for twelve. You know, one strikeout. I mean, that's the time, you know, it's a very, like I said, three games. You don't want to take away too much, but, but it's, he it, looks right. Oh, it, it he looks, does look right. It's it looks w- different than what we've seen throughout the lineup. Yes. Tony Kemp isn't going to be playing every day, but he brings attributes that this team doesn't have. High contact rate, a little bit of speed. It, these are things that the Cubs didn't have. You add these, mm-hmm. you diversify the lineup, you put the other players in the best position to succeed. Al Mora was getting plenty of playing time before the trade deadline. He was getting a ton of playing time and he was struggling. Now you pick and choose your spots. And it, I, I've always found it interesting when people were saying, give him more playing time, give him more playing time. He'll thrive. So like, you've got to earn that playing time too. It's yep. not like he was hitting the cover off the ball and then Joe sat him. No, you know,
1: uh, all right. In, in, in wrapping up here before I let you go on and, and begin your work day. Um, it, it, I think it's important to sort of get the perspective here because a lot of times we hear at the score from people saying the game is passing Theo by <laughs> or like, or, or, you know, and that's obviously extreme, but I can look around and say, what are the Dodgers doing? What are the Astros doing that the Cubs are not doing as the Cubs struggle with this stuff? It's not as if they're not aware. Are they making, have they made some philosophical choices that are damaging them a little bit or are they just not quite solving the problems they are trying to solve?
3: Yeah, I don't I don't want to say they've made philosophical choices that have damaged them. I think what has happened is some of these trends uh they or we're aware of them. Uh, they they have I'll just say this, they have the right personnel in place now. As far as uh pitching coordinator, minor league pitching coordinator, Brendan Segara. Yeah. Uh, loves all that stuff. A lot of the guys that they drafted the last two years, he's had some input on. I think that's another part. They've integrated all these systems, R&D, development, uh, amateur scouting. They all work together for the draft now. So now the draft isn't just amateur scouting and a couple other guys' input. Mm. It's a it's a group effort, and, and you have more people with more input. Cigara loves Jensen. Right He, he wanted uh, he, that was a guy that he was curious to work with, and now he's working with them. he worked with them, and, and the results are very early. It's Eugene, you know, short season ball, but he looks great, right? Okay. There are other pitchers that, you know, slider heavy, breaking ball heavy that that they're, that they're bringing into the system. Uh, there are guys like uh, let's uh, before I get to that, Tommy Hattavy is a guy that's now in place that embraces these things, and, and they have the right people in place now. Uh, maybe it took a little while longer, and for different reasons, when you have success, it's hard to it's hard to shift things around, sure. right? Sure,
1: and if you believe in, in guys who can learn and can develop, you're waiting for them to learn and develop.
3: Yes, so Hadabi's a guy that embraces all this, the, this tech, the, the advancements we've seen in pitching. Uh, you, you see a guy like Rowan Wick, right? That's a guy that nobody really knew about. They they tweak some things with the pitch la- with the help from the pitch lab and this guy now has a breaking ball to go with upper nineties heat that he elevates right uh, Kyle Ryan another guy that's a success story that they tweak some things in the pitch lab and now he's further he's he's on the first base side of the mound he, he uh, tweaked his arm slot and mm-hmm. now he's getting soft contact constantly and, and that's what you know he's a really reliable lefty now that's two guys at the big league level go look at go look at some of the guys in the minor league, some of the pitchers. They're starting to come around. It's not at the higher levels, unfortunately. That's the big problem. I, I keep looking at Eugene box scores, and I keep seeing these pitchers like striking out five guys in two innings and, and shutting out ball. I don't know what's going on exactly yet because they're really young pitchers that it's they're all over the place, and I'm just trying to figure out. But it's something something interesting's happening.
1: And it dovetails with some of the philosophical yes, changes. Yes, and, that you're and I, about.
3: I'd look at the for if, if you're curious about this, look at the last couple drafts. There's been a change in philosophy of how they draft. Okay. There's been a change in philosophy of how they develop. I wrote about this in January when they changed instructs. Instructs are now in January. They're using a lot of tech uh, to to really build these pitchers up and kind of figure things out. They have the right, like I said, Brendan Segura. Yes. Guys love him. He he's a former pitcher. A college pitcher, and I think he's a former college pitching coach.
1: But how about offensively? What, what are they yeah. doing offensively?
3: Yeah, it's a, they're they're trying to you know they have a new pitching I mean hitting coordinator in place as well, and Chris Valica, like like a younger guy. So he's he's he seems to be really uh, hitting it off with a lot of these guys. Mm-hmm. And yet uh, that's another area where you look at the position players they've recently drafted, and, and there's some intriguing guys. Uh, everyone knows about Nico. Yeah, Brennan Davis looks like a future star. I mean, this guy, I don't know if the rest of baseball, as far as uh, like uh, uh, prospect people, have really caught on yet. I, I know some people have him like, at the back t- of a top 100 list, maybe. Mm-hmm. This guy was supposed to be a project with his bat.
1: So they are drafting yeah. and trying to <laughs> develop guys who fit that profile yeah there's all
3: sorts of different they're they're definitely I mean Nico fits it perfectly yeah Nico fits that profile perfectly and another where the R&D and the uh, amateur scouting they kind of united and they're like we're seeing this with the amateur scouting and the R&D's like yep that's right he hits the ball hard if we do something maybe slightly different this guy's gonna hit the ball in the gaps and over the fence and and he's a great makeup guy and he really took to it controls his own, that's the guy, if he was a year more into his development, he'd be here. here. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, and, and maybe he will be next year. So hot of great stuff. Thanks for hanging out. Um, l- last thing real quick. You think they might go out and get a Nick Hundley or a Bobby Wilson? Probably not Luke Croy, I don't think. Yeah,
3: I, d- I don't know exactly which name. I mentioned all those guys in the piece I wrote. They're available, right? So Rivera is another I'd be another very one. surprised if they don't go out and get a veteran because that's just what Theo does. At minimum, get him in a minor league deal. Right. Uh, let Taylor Davis hang out for a little bit. Let, let this guy, whoever he is, get in shape or whatever need be, and then bring him up. I'd be surprised if someone isn't added just for the mere need of depth at AAA. Just
1: to know you're not screwed if one of these guys goes down. All right. Sahad, thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. Of course. He is Sahad Sharma of The Athletic. I am Matt Spiegel. It is hit and run on 670. The score, Jim Deshaies is going to be here at the top of the hour. We are live at Brickhouse right off of Gallagher Way. Come over and say hello. Thanks to our friends at Xfinity, the exclusive Wi-Fi provider for Wrigley Field. Keep it right here on The Score. on 670 the score we have a roster move and it is exactly the expected roster move wilson contreras goes to the injured list and taylor davis is here to be the second catcher for the chicago cubs you can't just go flying through the world with one you need two and you probably need more than two you'll need that third one and they will go out and get it Do you get the sense, though, that they're going to survive? I sure do. I get the sense that they're going to be all right with this Contreras thing in terms of the lineup. Maybe I'm drunk with Castellanos confidence. It's possible. If you're planning a business trip, a wedding, or looking for the perfect ride for your child to arrive in style for homecoming, visit PrestigeExotics.com to rent your dream car. That's PrestigeExotics.com. And the bottom of the hour is brought to you by the Chicago Wolves. Your Western Conference champion, Chicago Wolves, will open the season on Saturday, October 5th. For group and season tickets, visit chicagowolves.com. Texters at 67011. Don't you guys realize this is a product of Theo's preoccupation with launch angle? Um, It's a league-wide preoccupation with launch angle, with fly ball rates. You know which organization got really into fly ball rates three years ago and they hadn't been as an organization forever? They hadn't really focused on it because they didn't have front office people who thought about it too much. But then they were like, you know what, let's hire some other guys. And then they started looking. Guess, guess which organization? Who's the breakout power organization right now in baseball? The Minnesota Twins started focusing on launch angle and fly ball guys. How are they doing? How are they doing? Nelson Cruz yesterday, three home runs for the second time in eight days. Eight games, I should say. Second time in eight games. He's got 13 homers in his last 12 games, Nelson Cruz. They're they're way past 200 homers already. Fastest team ever to get to 200 home runs by a lot. And they're on pace to break the record. And they have run away for a while at least in that American League Central. But the Indians aren't letting them hide. I love that that's a race. I know it's up to three games now between the Twins and the Indians, but I love that that is a race. But my goodness, the Twins, a run differential of 138. It's just seven runs behind the Astros for the best in the American League and the National League. It is the Dodgers at 171 plus 171. Every time I see one of those teams do something, it's just like, oh, my God, like the Dodgers like, you know what? We need a pitcher. Um, Let's bring up this kid, Dustin May, who's got explosively gigantic red curly hair um, that he's been growing since apparently his senior year of high school. But he's good. And he was really just okay in his first start on Friday night. But but watch out. His arm is so good. His stuff is so good. He might play a big role for them down the stretch here and have a job of sorts. Could be a bullpen job, who knows, come the playoff time. And then the Astros go out and get Aaron Sanchez. Aaron Sanchez. I said it yesterday morning that he's one of those guys who seems a little broken and then goes to Houston and is great right away. And remember, he was really good in 2016. He won an ERA title. He's always had a great curveball. But this year, a league-worst 6.07 ERA. No wins in 17 straight starts. His last win was in April. And then he goes to Houston. Boom. Six dominant no-hit innings. The Astros no-hit Seattle. Four guys. Aaron Sanchez threw his curveball more than 30% of the time last night. It was the highest percentage of his career. Brent Strom is your pitching coach for the Houston Astros, and they have a lot of smart people in that organization all over the place helping pitchers be better. Did you guys see the video of uh, Justin Verlander showing Zach Greinke something in the dugout? It's terrifying. Zach Greinke, who's brilliant and is having a tremendous year, the best in a while for him at the age of 35, Verlander's showing him something with a grip and how he spins the ball coming out. Verlander is a teacher. He's a student. All those guys are going to help each other. It's a giant pitching factory. Freaking Astros. Just maddening. Other new guys, by the way, debuted uh, last night around baseball. Marcus Stroman for the Mets. Just four and a third innings pitch for Stroman through 92 pitches. Gave up seven hits and a couple of walks versus the Pirates. Trevor Bauer. Just four and two-thirds innings for the Cincinnati Reds threw 107 pitches. He gave up seven hits and three walks against the Braves. So not what you'd like from their first outing for either the Mets or the Reds. But I, I don't get the sense that either of those teams are going to benefit from those guys in this particular year to the point that they make the playoffs. Next year, though, with a full year of Stroman and a full year of Bauer, could be Interesting. Uh, I have a theory, by the way, before we take a break here. I have a theory as to why Marcus Stroman is a Met. I think um, when you heard Theo Epstein talk about uh, the trade deadline and why things didn't go down until like the final half hour, he said that basically every front office had their own idea of what they thought the trade deadline would mean. I think Brody Van Wagenen tried to jump the gun on everybody, get Marcus Stroman, and then control the market for the next two days. I've got Stroman and Syndergaard. I could flip Stroman again. I could flip Syndergaard and hold on to Stroman. I could trade Zach Wheeler. I could trade all these guys. And then he trades none of them. Nothing happened. And I was talking to somebody uh, from a, a different organization who said that he thought Van Wagenen held on way too long and way too late in the process. And got a little bit burned, ending up keeping all of those guys. Especially Wheeler is going to be a free agent. And immediately went out and threw seven really good innings. It is 670, the score. It is hit and run here with you. Let's talk about a really good hire, in my opinion, for the Chicago White Sox when we come back. And later on, uh, Dan Evans, the former GM of the White Sox, teaches analytics. Who does he teach it to I think you'll be a little bit surprised as to who has taken those classes. 312-644-6767 is the phone number. You can text at 11 and hop on in to hit and run right here on the score.
3: 2 on 2-out. Two Angle swings through, strike three. And the game's over. The Phillies narrowly escape in game two.
1: Yeah, it's not a good run right now on the major league level for the Chicago White Sox. It was um, a really encouraging first half. Remember, they got to 500 and flirted with it before and after for a while. There were a bunch of things that, uh, that were fun to watch, that were interesting to watch and encouraging. There are fewer of them uh, on the field right now. It's, um, it's a tough go. Since the All-Star break. 2-8 and eight in their last 10. The run differential has dropped down to minus 122. And it, it's, it's been an ugly run. I will say this, though. They are worth watching in terms of the starting pitchers. Three out of five days now. Because Renato Lopez has an ERA. He goes again today. It's worth watching Renato Lopez. He has an ERA of just over two here in the second half. And it's a 2.05 ERA after he was the worst starting pitcher in baseball in the first half. That's nice to see him bounce back. Dylan Cease had thrown probably his best game, or at least his best since the debut the other day. And Lucas Giolito refound himself in his last time out. But you're still a guy, if you're a White Sox fan, you're still trying to zoom out. You're still a guy trying to widen the focus and look down towards Charlotte. Because... I mean, thank you, Ross Detweiler, for going five and two-thirds innings, but it's not like he's a part of the future. And if he is, you got troubles. Dylan Covey just came back up because Carson Fulmer got hurt. He gave you two innings to finish. All right, you survived a game. You survived a game yesterday. But you're still zooming out, and you're wanting to watch Charlotte. Adam Stadzinski, are you still looking down at Charlotte? Of course I am. Of course am. you are.
3: You have to. There's, nothing How- though, there's not much to watch at the major league level. Well, there well is, there, no. there's
1: there's there's some, but I mean, like, it, it, you can feel good about a John Jay at bat, a John Jay RBI, but you know, you know that doesn't really have consequence for your eventual winning window, which you dream of starting next year. There are two guys down at AAA who should have consequence for that that winning window. And and Luis Robert is 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 tearing it up down there. What what are Robert's numbers at AAA Charlotte? Okay. There?
3: So okay. this is this is in twenty one games, ninety one okay. at bats, one hundred and two plate appearances. He is hitting uh, three fifty two, four twelve, seven hundred three. That's his slash line, and his OPS is one point one. Wow! With, so he's with dominating
1: AAA pitching.
3: Yes, he's in a hundred
1: in a hundred and two plate appearances. He's dominating AAA pitching. It would be. It'd be fairly unprecedented for a dude to be on four levels in the same year, which is what would happen if you bring him up to the bigs. But I think it's going to happen, and I think it should happen. I don't know that it's going to happen anytime super soon. It might not happen until September. But I think it is going to happen, and I think it should. And I wouldn't be surprised if Madrigal comes up at the same time. Now, Nick Madrigal's only been there for a couple of days. But this idea of letting your core all show up and play together and get to know each other and get some of those, those kind of cobwebs off, if you will. Cobwebs is the wrong word. Um, I'm, I'm struggling to think of the right word. You want them to get it out of their system, this like discomfort, this natural discomfort level of, oh, my God, I'm at the big leagues. Get some of those nerves out of the way. I think Luis Robert is going to be here. And sure, it will be a nice marketing coup for some games either in August or in September. It'll be a nice marketing coup to be able to include Robert and Madrigal on your billboards. And your billboards next off season will probably have Moncada and Anderson and Jimenez and Robert and maybe Madrigal. All those guys. Maybe you'll throw James McCann up there if you want. But man, you got options. You got lineup options. You got a lot of pitching you need to go by, but you got lineup options to get out there and feel pretty good about. I think they'll be there. 6711 11 is 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 your text line to get to. Hit and run right here on 670, the score. The White Sox made a hire this week. It's a feel-good story, and I think he's a very, very smart guy. You remember when Danny Farquhar had the brain aneurysm that led to a hemorrhage in the dugout after facing four hitters. It was in April, April of 2018. And Farquhar went down and he went to the hospital. He fought for his life. He eventually tried to pitch again. And he got a shot in the New York Yankees system He went to spring training. He made a couple appearances with the AAA affiliate for the New York Yankees. That's a great story in and of itself. But then Farquhar realized he was going to have to retire, and he did. And his first phone call after he retired was to Rick Hahn. And he asked to be a part of the organization. And Hahn said yes. Yesterday, or I guess it was two days ago, Danny Farquhar was named... As a minor league pitching coordinator, he will, uh, he will be working in the minor leagues. F- for starters, at A. he's going to go to Birmingham to learn from Omar Vizquel and the pitching coach there, Rich Dotson. And uh, Danny Farquhar is going to be part of things with the White Sox. Now, they are obviously a famously loyal franchise who hires guys that they know and uh, guys that they believe in. Danny Farquhar is a super smart dude. I will never forget that he was the guy. He was the dude talking to Lucas Giolito about his fastball and the changeup combination. Saying to, uh, to Gio, you know what? When I was in Tampa Bay, we would talk about who had the best carrier on their four-seam fastball, and your name came up a lot. You don't throw that pitch enough. Farquhar was that guy. He, he brought stuff he learned in Tampa into the White Sox clubhouse. He said, you know, you guys really, you, you should throw that more. You, stop that sinker. Don't throw that sinker. That sinking fastball, he said to Giolito. Yes, that's, that's where it came from initially. And then Giolito goes back to his high school pitching coach, who is uh, now a major league, um, a major league coach. But he went back to that guy who, who taught him and taught John Flaherty and Max Freed. They were all on the same team in high school. It's a good, good rotation. And Giolito went back to him, and he kind of hinted at the same thing. And then that's what he's done. Giolito has completely transformed his career on a number of different levels with a number of different methodologies, but very, very high on the list of them is throwing the four-seam fastball with that carry and pairing it with that nasty changeup. And he has, among others, to thank for it, Danny Farquhar. So pretty cool hire, if you ask me. And Farquhar said when he got to AAA for the Yankees and he's watching guys throw, he said, wow, these guys are good. I'm not this good anymore. Maybe I never was this good. I'm really, really far behind these guys. And so he hung it up. But he made his phone call, made his phone call to the White Sox. Rick Khan said yes, and Danny Farquhar now starts in the minors. The White Sox need um, even more hires, even more good hires, even more smart guys. When you start a rebuild and you keep the same guys at the top, sometimes you don't bring in quite as many new voices, fresh voices, fresh teachers as you can. That's why the pro scouting department is going to get a revamp under, uh, under Nick Hostetler here coming up. Because they they got more work to do. They got more work to do. Three years into the rebuild, they still have some more work to do uh, structurally within the organization. But one of the guys who's going to help them is Farquhar, and that's pretty cool. Following along with all your baseball news uh, on Twitter as we do, looks like the uh, <laughs> the Phillies just optioned Michael Franco to the Miners. Wow, Phillies are are scrambling. They are scrambling to try and stay afloat after investing all that money. They, they go get McCutcheon. He gets hurt, so now they go get Corey Dickerson for him uh, to, to, to replace him. Gabe Kapler got caught having to use a position player for two innings of consequence in an extra inning game. And his best left fielder was the pitcher Vince Velasquez, at least defensively. Phillies won last night, but, man, Michael Franco's been bad. An OPS of 626 since the 2nd of May. Brad Miller has been activated, the former Tampa Ray Brad Miller. And Michael Franco down to the minors. Wow. It's big boy season. My, uh, one of my favorite big boys. And he's, you know, I, I guess I just mean in terms of height and stature within the media. And that's Jim Deshaies, is going to join us in a matter of moments here on 670 The Score. It is Hit and Run. I'm Matt Spiegel here with you. We are live at the Brickhouse Tavern right here off of Gallagher Way. We're here thanks to our friends at Xfinity. Xfinity, the exclusive Wi-Fi provider for Wrigley Field. And Wrigley is now the Wi-Fi-friendly confines with in-stadium Wi-Fi from Xfinity. We'll come back and talk with Jim Deshaies next on Hit and Run right here on 670 The Score.